So tonight we're continuing our study, God-fearing men. We're going to go back to David. And we may visit David a few more times before this uh, semester is complete. Tonight we're going to um, spend our time in Psalm 103. It is, a, uh, it is an appropriate psalm for where we are right now in this nation and for what we're facing and, and for where we are in the world. Things are not looking uh, up and up. Things are not looking uh, real bright and cheery as we look at the future. Charles Schultz, the creative genius behind uh, Peanuts, Charlie Brown, Lucy, Charles Schultz once said, don't worry about the world coming to an end today. It's already tomorrow in Australia. <laughs> now, that's really a good perspective. <laughs> he was one of a kind. This week I came across an excerpt from a small booklet written by Admiral Chester Nimitz called Reflections from Pearl Harbor. As you know, on Sunday, December 7, 1941, Pearl Harbor was attacked by the Japanese Air Force. Chester Nimitz was attending a concert in Washington, D.C. He was paged, told there was a phone call. He answered the phone. It was President Roosevelt. He told Nimitz that he would now be commander of the Pacific Fleet. After making plans and organizing his staff, Admiral Nimitz flew to Hawaii to assume command of the Pacific Fleet. He landed at Pearl Harbor on Christmas Eve, 1941. There was such a spirit of despair, dejection, and defeat, you would have thought that the Japanese had already won the war. On Christmas Day, the next day, 1941, Admiral Nimitz was given a boat tour of the destruction wrought on Pearl Harbor by the Japanese. Big sunken battleships and Navy vessels cluttered the waters everywhere you looked. As the tour boat returned to the dock, the young helmsman of the boat asked, well, Admiral, what do you think after seeing all this destruction? Admiral Nimitz's reply shocked everyone within the sound of his voice. Nimitz said, the Japanese made three of the biggest mistakes an attack force could ever make, or God was taking care of America. Which do you think it was? Uh, the young Helsman was shocked and surprised, as the others were who heard that response. And the young Helmsman asked, what do you mean by saying the Japanese made the three biggest mistakes an attack force ever made? Nimitz explained. He said, mistake number one, the Japanese attacked on Sunday morning. Nine out of every ten crewmen of those ships were ashore on leave. If those same ships had been lured to sea and had been sunk, we would have lost 38,000 men instead of 3,800. The second mistake the Japanese made, when they saw, the Japanese pilots saw all those battleships lined in a row, they got so carried away sinking those battleships, they never once bombed our dry docks opposite those ships. If they had destroyed our dry docks, we would have had to have towed every one of those ships 
to California to be repaired. As it is now, the ships are in shallow water and can be raised. One tug can pull them over to the dry docks, and we can have them repaired and at sea by the time we could have towed them to the West Coast. And I already have crews ashore anxious to man those ships. The third mistake the Japanese made, Nimitz went on, every drop of fuel in the Pacific theater of war is in top-of-ground storage tanks five miles away just over that hill. One attack plane could have strafed those tanks and destroyed our entire fuel supply. That's why I say the Japanese made three of the biggest mistakes an attack force could make, or God was taking care of America. Now that's leadership. That is a leader. Everyone sees destruction, devastation. The Japanese have pretty much already won the war, not Nimitz. Nimitz remembered and actually gave thanks for three benefits that everyone else had forgotten. That is exactly what David does in Psalm 103. Exactly. In Psalm 103, David, uh, there are 150 Psalms. David wrote roughly half of them, 75. In Psalm 103, it's a little bit different from the others that David wrote by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Usually in a psalm, David is in some kind of trouble. He often talks about his enemies because as king of Israel, he had many enemies. Before he was king of Israel, he was on the run from Saul, the first king of Israel, for years and years. Saul was trying to kill him. He was hiding in caves. Once he became king, he still had enemies. He had enemies outside the camp. He had enemies inside the camp. He had uh, made the serious mistake of taking more than one wife. God told him not to do that, or any king, in Deuteronomy 17, 17. But David had somewhere between 8, 10, 12 wives. All those wives had kids. He had to build an addition to the palace, the, the family condominium arms. And those family members were often at arms with one another. Wives bickering with wives, kids bickering with kids, trying to get the advantage, competing, jealousy, anger. David had to deal with it all of his life. Horrific things within his own family that he had brought about. David was always in some kind of trouble, and usually in a psalm, he is making a petition to the Lord to help him with his trouble. He is making prayer requests throughout the psalms, Lord, help me against my enemies. Or in Psalm 32, in Psalm 51, he's repenting of his sin with Bathsheba. For a year, until Nathan uh, confronted him, he covered the sin with Bathsheba, acted like everything was okay. 
Finally, Nathan confronts him. And then David had a choice to make. He could genuinely repent, or he could do what we often see in our culture, which is counterfeit repentance. He, uh, he genuinely repented. You can read about that in Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. He talks about the fact that God wants truth in the innermost being. He didn't defend himself. He didn't rationalize. He didn't make excuses. He said, against you and you only have I sinned. So he came clean. Thomas Watson said, the repentance is the vomiting of the soul. So in the Psalms, he is usually asking God for help, either against enemies, asking God for forgiveness. In Psalm 103, he doesn't make one petition. In Psalm 103, he doesn't make one prayer request. He doesn't ask God for anything. That makes it very unique. Now, no doubt he's got trouble. No doubt he's got difficulty. No doubt he's got issues in his life. Uh, many commentators feel that he is actually trying to work his way out of some um, discouragement and perhaps even despair. But he doesn't mention it. He takes a completely different tact. That's what makes this psalm so very, very unique. I want to give you... Uh, five points tonight as we work through this psalm. Let me go ahead and give them to you, and then we'll come back and uh, take them one by one. Our first point tonight will be that David speaks to himself. David speaks to himself in verses one and two. Secondly, David catalogs his benefits. He catalogs his benefits as one who is in covenant relationship with Almighty God. So he catalogs his benefits in verses two through five. Then, thirdly, he speaks of the benefit of having a compassionate father. The benefit of having a compassionate father. That would be verses eight through 14. Fourthly, this is a little long, this one, but it needs to be long. Fourthly, he discusses the benefit of the brevity of life. The benefit of the brevity of life in God's faithfulness. That would be verses 15 to 18. And then the fifth point is the benefit of joining the choir. And that would be verses 19 to 22 and Revelation 5, 11 to 13. Let's go back to our first point. David speaks to himself, and you see this right out of the blocks. Uh, th th this, is, uh, this happens from time to time in different psalms. It happens in Psalm 42. You don't need to turn to Psalm 42. But in Psalm 42 and 43, you read this, these, these phrases several times. 
Why are you in despair, O my soul? He's talking to himself. You've seen uh, somewhere on a TV show or an old movie where there's some guy, there's a situation, and there's a group of men, and it, it's a very stressful, and it's an emergency, and maybe there's, it, it's a panic situation, and someone loses their head and kind of gets, gets hyper, and they, 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 just, they just panic, and someone will grab them by the shirt and slap them in the face a couple of times. And then the guy stops, and he goes, thanks. I needed that. That's what's happening in Psalm 103. That's also what's happening in Psalm 42, which we're not going to look at. But why are you in despair, O my soul? It's like he grabs himself and puts himself up against the wall and slaps his face a couple of times. Hey, snap out of it. You're not thinking right. You're running on feelings. When you're panicked, it's sheer feeling. It's sheer fear. It's sheer anxiety. When you're in um, a crisis situation, you have to think. So Psalm 103, note verses 1 and 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Now remember, he's in trouble. We don't know what the trouble was, but have you ever in your life been, could you ever say, I am completely trouble-free and stress-free, and it always cracks me up when, you get advice from a counselor, well, just try to uh, remove the stress in your life. Well, you know what? Just you telling me that stresses me out. <laughs> How the heck am I going to remove the stress in my life? That is the most asinine thing I have ever paid anyone in my life to tell me. And I say that in Christian love. <laughs> yeah, try to remove the stress. How am I going to do that? You got a hundred grand, you, can, you want to write me a check out of your petty cash account? A lot of times you can't remove the stress. Most times, most times you can't. Now there are some things you do maybe to shift your thinking, biblically. Why are you in despair, O my soul, is Psalm 42. Now Psalm 103 He's looking at the positive. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Have I got trouble? Yeah. Have I got difficulty? Yeah. I think it's safe to say that right now, if you're paying attention, it's hard to keep optimistic about the future in this nation. A lot of us are disturbed, and we are concerned, and... We should be, because this country has been a country, it's been a place, it's been a shining light for people all across the world where scriptural principles were put in place, not perfectly, but enough so that there was liberty, enough so that scripture is chiseled in stone all over Washington, D.C., not a perfect country by any stretch of the imagination. But you show me one that you would want to move to instead of being here. 
Now, all of that is being reversed. We don't need to say much more about that because we all, I think most of us, understand that right now. And we see the direction in which we're going. How do you fight off the discouragement? How do you fight off the uh, despair? How do you fight off the hopelessness? Now, I, and, and here's what I want to say tonight. I'm doing Psalm 103 tonight, not for you guys. I really don't care about you guys. This is a narcissistic message. This is all about me. I'm doing this for me. And if you want to listen in, you're welcome to listen in. But I think most of us are in the same boat. You can't lose hope, not if you know Christ. You just can't do it. Uh, that shouldn't happen. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. All that is within me. In Deuteronomy 6, 5, it says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. See, it's, in, what you got in Deuteronomy 6, 5 is, you love God with everything you have. You put everything you have into it. You don't put 10% into it or 20%. You, you, you love him with everything within you. Same idea is here. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me, my mind, my heart, my will. I want to bless the Lord with everything that's within me. Bless his holy name. Now, how can I do that in the midst of what's going on around us? Here's how you do it. Next verse. He continues to talk to himself. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. When Nimitz was taken on that tour around Pearl Harbor, the idea that was permeating the entire nation was the Japanese perhaps have already won the war. It's not how Nimitz saw it. Nimitz looked around and saw what no one else saw. He saw the benefits. He saw the hand of God. He saw the mercy of God. Three things three major mistakes that nobody else was talking about. David does the exact same thing. Bless the Lord, O oh, oh my soul. And here's the key to blessing the Lord in difficult circumstances. And forget none of his benefits. What happens when things go contrary to the way we would hope that they would go is that we tend to lose hope because we forget the benefits that have been given to us as those who are in relationship with Jesus Christ and belong to him forever. 18 times in the book of Deuteronomy, there is an admonition to not, to remember the Lord, 18 times, to remember the Lord and what he has done for you. 
nine times in Deuteronomy, there is an admonition, do not forget what the Lord has done for you. So 18 times, remember what he's done, remember who he is, what he has done, 18 times, nine times, the flip side of the coin, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. The exact same idea that's here. And forget not his benefits. Forget none of his benefits. Secondly, David begins to catalog the benefits. He begins to list the benefits because that's how you remember them. Verse 3. And here's your catalog. Who pardons all your iniquities. That's forgiveness of sin. What a benefit. To have our sins forgiven. There is forgiveness with thee. We, we are told to repent, to turn from our sins, to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's Old Testament believers, but you've got the gospel in the Old Testament. You ever read Isaiah 53? Isaiah 53 is a statement of the gospel. The first benefit that David mentions is that God forgives sin. Old Testament saints look forward to the coming of the Messiah. We look back. We all look to the cross. Old Testament saints look forward to the cross. We look back to the cross to the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what a benefit, the forgiveness of sins. If you go back to Psalm 103, he says, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. Now, there, there is some confusion among Christians about healing. When you repent of your sin, there is immediate, and you turn to Christ, there is immediate forgiveness. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just forgives our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There are some who teach that healing is in the atonement, but healing is not in the atonement. Healing, sometimes God heals and sometimes God doesn't heal. Stop and think for a minute about David and his sin with Bathsheba. So he covered his sin with Bathsheba. He had her husband killed in battle. She's pregnant. The baby is born. He's, uh, the baby is born sick. David fasts for seven days, asking God to heal that child. And God does not heal the child. Now, let's say this. When a child dies, that child goes into the presence of Christ. If an infant dies, if a child is aborted, if there's a miscarriage, uh, that child goes into the presence of Christ. So in that sense, there's healing. Uh, Paul, Paul was, had the gift of healing as an apostle. 
But Paul had an affliction that three times, he, had, he called it a thorn in the flesh, three times he asked the Lord to heal him, and three times the Lord said no. God does not always heal. Three times he asked, and, Paul, and the Lord said to Paul, no, my power is perfected in weakness. It's interesting, if you read um, some biographies of great saints that God has used throughout history, it's... In, it, it's interesting how many of them have tremendous physical afflictions. Yet the Lord uses that. It's a thorn in the flesh. Can God heal? Jesus healed everyone who came to him. That's why he delayed coming when Lazarus was sick. What they wanted him to do was to come and heal. Jesus stayed away on purpose four days. That was part of the confirmation of Jesus' ministry is that all who came to him, he, you know, he'd heal them, uh, who believed. But God is not obligated to heal in this life. Now, it's just what the scripture teaches. We could go on and give more verses, but we need to be clear about this. And, and the question is, well, now he could heal. Why doesn't he heal? Well, we, we don't know. But oftentimes, God wants to do something of greater significance in someone's life than just taking away physical pain. He wants to do something deeper in their soul and in their heart. And he can use pain. He uses different things that we would not want him to use in order to mature us. For now... We'll leave it at that. Can God heal? Yes. Does he always heal? Obviously not. But your last moment on this earth, your next moment, you will experience complete healing forever. That's a benefit. Who redeems your life from the pit. As you walk through life, you're going to encounter various pits. He saved you from the pit of hell. But now, as you walk through life, there are other pits that will come along, and he will save you from those. If you look at um, Psalm 16, 11, I mean, you see, you see rescues all the time in Scripture where he uh, saves us from a pit, where he redeems us from a pit. As I'm going to Psalm 16, I'm thinking of... Uh, Psalm 50, 15, call on me in the day of trouble. I will rescue you, and you will honor me. That's true all the way through your life. In fact, as you're here tonight, you can look back over your life and see times where, as a believer, he has rescued you. And you didn't see any possible way out of that situation or those circumstances. And he stepped in and rescued you, and what do you do? You honor him. In Psalm 16, we read this, verse 11, you will make known to me the path of life. We're walking down the path of life. Do I know what's around the bend? Do I know what's coming next week? Did two weeks ago we knew, did we know that the entire state of Texas would be in a deep freeze for a week? No, we don't know the future. None of us know the future. 
That's why we pray and we ask God to lead us and direct us and to give us wisdom. You will make known to me the path of life, and he will do that until you take your last breath. And then he says this, you will make known to me the path of life. That means he'll get you through the pits that are out there before you that you're not even aware of. He'll deliver you. But then he says this, in your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. He's talking about heaven. You will make known to me the path of life on this earth, but the life, the journey on earth comes to an end. And then what? Eternal life in heaven. That's a benefit that you can't forget. It's good to ponder these things, to be quiet, to turn off the noise, to turn Some of us actually had power outages. We had rolling blackouts last week in Texas. I read a headline in the Babylon Bee, the satirical Christian news site. It went something like this. Texas institutes rolling blackouts to make Californians feel at home. I talked to some, and they had no access to the internet. How did you live? <laughs> how, how, how did you survive that? You know, it's good to be quiet. It's good to turn off the noise. It's good to have downtime. And it's good to open your Bible. And it's good to think about what it says. What David is doing to keep himself sane is he's pulling out. Well, when you take a new job, you sign a bunch of forms, they give you a lot of stuff. They'll give you a booklet that is a summary of your benefits. Yeah, we're paying you this. That's your salary. Yeah, you got this much vacation. But there are some benefits. It's good to look at those benefits. It's good to familiarize yourself. That's true in the Christian life. But if there's always noise, if there's always input, if there's always searching this site and this site and doing this and in kind of a fever pitch. Turn it off. And remember who he is and remember what he's done. Be still. And know that I am God. I have actually dropped my blood pressure before. Quoting that verse. As I had my arm in a stirrup at a pharmacy. It was a little high. And I just took, I thought, you know, that... I drove pretty quickly to get here, and I just, I just 
took a few minutes, and there was, it was pretty early, there was really nobody, the pharmacy wasn't even open. And I just took some time, and I just was quiet, and I got out of that chair and went over here and sat down, and I just started thinking through scriptures. I went back over there, and uh, my blood pressure had dropped significantly just from being still and reminding myself of my benefits. You see? <laughs> it, has, it has a calming effect. It just puts everything in perspective. Cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. You're not in this by yourself. He knows what's going on. He knows it better than we do. He knows your concerns and your worries and your anxiety. He knows all about it. He understands our thought from afar. Psalm 139 says. Verse 5 is interesting. Because verse 5 says, Who satisfies your years with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Throughout life, God gives us good things. God blesses us. The Lord is good to us. He is abundant in loving kindness, the scripture says. He satisfies our years with good things. Uh, you do that with your kids. You love your kids. Uh, we love to do that for people that we love. The Lord loves to do that for his children. Who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. What happens is, is that we lose energy and we get weak and we get fatigued. Is it Isaiah 40? They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. So, the Lord will satisfy us with good things. Third point. The benefit of a compassionate father. The benefit of a compassionate father. Back in Psalm 103. Note, if you would, in Psalm 103, and, and this, is, this is who God is. This is who our father is. If, if you want to lower your blood pressure, if you want to lower your anxiety, if you want to go to sleep tonight, um, read verses 8 and 14 over. Just read through it, and then read through it again, slowly, and then read through it again, and uh, you're going to fall asleep. Because what it's going to do is, it's going to remind you of the benefits of your compassionate father. So whatever it is that's keeping you up, let's read verse 8 down to 14. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Sometimes we get angry because 
we want God to deal with. We see things that are unjust, and we want God to deal with it, and he doesn't deal with it. Now, this is usually in regard to other people who are unjust. But when it comes to us, we want God to be slow if we're unjust. Uh, it, it says in 6, the Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. God will judge. Shall not the judge of the earth do what is right? He doesn't always judge in our time schedule, and it looks like certain people slide and get away with everything, and they don't get away with everything. There will be a judgment. Know that. And when ju God judges, he judges correctly. God cannot be unjust. He cannot do it. He cannot sin. He cannot lie. He cannot be unjust. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. He is slow to anger. He's abounding. He's like a bubbling spring in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. Watch this. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. Is there anything better in the world than that? Oh, I did this, and I did this, and I'm afraid God's punishing me because, wait a minute, did you repent of that? Did you turn to the Lord Jesus Christ? Did you confess that sin? Yes. Then you're not being punished. Christ took the punishment. Jesus took it upon him. Well, this bad thing, I just think God's punishing. I, I can't tell you how many times I hear this from folks, and they're worried, I, I, this, I deserve this. Well, you know what? You may deserve it, but he put it on Christ. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That's the, that's the gospel. It's amazing. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? He died and took my sin and took the wrath of God that should have been on me. Jesus took it on him. Now, that's a benefit he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. I mean, he separates sin from us. Micah 7, 19 says, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. So he puts sins in the depths of the sea. He removes it as far as east from the west. He separates it from us. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us, just as the Father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He's mindful. We're just dust. He gets us. He made us. Hey, hey. He knows everything about us. And we have our limitations, and he knows how we're wired, and he knows our temperaments, and he knows what discourages us. He knows everything about us. But he's compassionate because he's our father and he made us and he created us and he sent his son to die. This I know that God is for me because I'm in Christ. That's a benefit. Let me go to number four real quick. This is the, <laughs> the benefit of the brevity of life. This may not sound like a benefit. The benefit of the brevity of life and God's faithfulness. Note uh, verse 15. As for man, his days are like grass. By the way, how's your front yard looking these days? <laughs> how's it coming along? My gosh, you were out there in the spring and summer and you put money into that. I mean, how's it looking? Huh? 
dead. It's dead. That's your life. As for man, that's us. His days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. The blue bonnets. Where are the blue bonnets? I haven't seen blue bonnets this week at all. No. Because they come and then they're gone. When the wind is passed over, it is no more, and his place acknowledges it no longer. Now watch this. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. When your days are over, God's favor on your life continues to the next generations. That's how God works to those who trust him. So now, in the present, pray for those kids. Pray for those kids that are away from the Lord. Pray for those kids that aren't interested in the Lord. Pray for those kids who don't think they need the Lord. Just pray for them. Because there's going to be a day when they hit a wall going 150 miles an hour. That's how many of us came to know the Lord. And you might not even be around when they come. But you see, God loves to bless not only you, but your children and their children. To those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. So what this is about in 15, as for man, his days are like grass. We've got a limited amount of time on the earth. And, and so, I mean, really, you know what? That's a blessing. Psalm 90 is for the days of our lives. They, can do, they contain 70 or due to strength 80 years. Say, I want 90 years. Okay. I want 100 years. Really? You want to be in a rest home? Lined up in front of that TV? That's, that's, that's what you want? Why? Why? Why would you want that? As for the days of our lives, they contain 70 or due to strength, 80 years, but soon it is gone. When we're young, it goes by slow. Each decade, it picks up speed. Soon it is gone. It is a mercy. Can I say this? I take it as a mercy that I'm not going to live 917 years. <laughs> as guys in the Old Testament did. I don't want to live 917 years. Because I know it's waiting for me because of what Jesus has done. And as long as I'm on this earth, the faithfulness of God will be there. Last point. We'll go home. The fifth point is the benefit of joining the choir. Look at verses 19 through 22. And as you look at them, there will be no choir mentioned. I'm just giving you a heads up. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels. Now, he started out, bless the Lord, O my soul. Now he's appealing to the angels. Bless the Lord, you angels. Mighty in strength, you perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his host, you who serve him, doing his will. Bless the Lord, all you works of his, the sun, the moon, the stars, the universe, the solar systems, at all, the creation, all creation, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. So what's this choir thing? Go over to Revelation 5 and we'll be done. 
in Revelation 5, we see how that, those verses apply. That the entire creation will bless the Lord. In Revelation 5, verse 11, John said, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing, and every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea, and all things in them I heard saying to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, the blessing, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. Forget none of his benefits. That'll be the greatest choir in the history of the world. And because we're in Christ, we'll be there. That's something you want to think on. Because it's reality. So, Father, we thank you for your word. And even as things around us are coming apart, we thank you that you, through your Son, hold all things together. And that there is a plan and there is a purpose. You've got your hand on every man in this room and on his family. We thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the hope that is ours. Help us to ponder these benefits. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.